If you walk by the Spirit, you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. What does it mean by the walk? By the Spirit? Humility and faith. Faith is humble. The little child that comes to his father and said, I need your help, like for everything. You know what? Humble. Hello, and welcome to this edition of That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Dr. William Mazella, and our teacher is my friend and brother in the Lord, Joe Durso. After enjoying this discussion of God's Word, if you are seeking discipleship or biblical counseling, please email us. Now for today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, it is a wonderful responsibility. It's a delight, a joy, a, a gift to pray to you because you are worthy of worship, you're worthy of our prayers, you're worthy of everything that we can possibly give back to you, and the only thing worthwhile that we give back to you is that it was first given to us from you. And that we're out of gratitude, we just, Lord, Lord, offer it back. We know it's money, gifts, uh, as in who we are in character, gifts of the Spirit, the church, salvation, Jesus Christ, the law, the prophets, the promises. I mean, all of these things the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, all of these things which you have created, either speaking it into existence, as in the planet Earth, the stars, the heavens, or through other means, reproduction, uh, just all these people, authors, writing, you know, all of these things, no matter how it comes, it comes from you. We recognize this. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring the spirit of truth, you know, into me now, even as I share these things, even as you breathe them into the word through men who are inspired to write these things for the betterment of the church, for the betterment of those who hear and listen, receive, acknowledge, and it becomes a part of their life because nothing changes a person like your word. Do that for us now. I ask it in Jesus' name. For your honor and your glory. Amen. Today's lesson is uh, from episode 32, Spiritual People, reading from Romans 8, 26, and 27. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Now, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know what to pray, as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Romans 8, 26 and 27. So as we look at this scripture today from Romans 8, what we want to do is examine and understand what Paul means by this statement. Now, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we should. Okay, so is he, what exactly is he talking about? And, and in this case, he says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What I, I want to say at the outset, more is going on in this verse than prayer. And prayer, obviously, is the centerpiece. But what I, what I want to say is that while prayer is the centerpiece, it's linked in to the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in the individual, obviously. There's two keys here. One is prayer, and one is the working of the Holy Spirit, both of which are very hard to understand, and, I, and I'm making a blanket statement here, because a lot of time has to be spent doing it. And I, I from you know surveys taken, which doesn't mean a whole lot, but, you know, it's, it's obvious. Just spend time talking to a lot of people, ask them how their prayer life is, and chances are you're going to get, uh, it could be better. Uh, well, how much time do you spend a day? You know, people, uh, very few that I've run into, years and years and years, say, oh, you know, I spend three, four hours a day in prayer. You know, I'm always praying, you know. Well, pre- people do pray throughout the day, but if you put those prayers throughout the day together, you know, what would it add up to? Would it add up to minutes or would it add up to hours? You know, let's, let's just, you know, do what we need to do as Christians, just be honest. You know, so if our prayer life is weak, what's our spiritual life like? I mean, does God lead us to pray? Does he want us to pray? We know he led Jesus to pray early, early in the morning, half the night, the whole night in prayer. You know, was that regular for Jesus? Um, was it just certain times, you know, what is the function of prayer? What's the function of the Holy Spirit? We want to kind of lump all of that together. We want to look at it because when a person is saved and they come to Christ, the first thing that happens in salvation, real salvation, born again, regenerate salvation, a man who becomes a new creation in Christ, he's a new being, God's placed this covenant, which is he will place his law on his heart, he write them on his mind, uh, Hebrews chapters 8 and 10. This, this whole new man being created is basically a spiritual man. You know, Jesus said that the Father is seeking those who worship him. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In truth, the word of God, which is the only always true thing on the planet, but in spirit. What does it mean to be in spirit? That's what we're looking at today. So that we can pray, but also so that we can Know what it means to be in the Spirit. This is an essential part of our life as a believer. So, let's in doing that, let's start out with this first part of this verse in Romans 8.26, which says, Now in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. What's, where's, so he's, we have to go back. We have to go back to verses 24 and 25. Because now or for in the same way leads us back to the previous two verses where we find the Spirit helping us in a different way. The need of which he just spoke is about our faith or hope. Because hope is actually faith in the future. So here's what he said in verses 24 and 25. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. That's just the way it is with faith. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, through perseverance we wait eagerly for it. So here's this faith which 
or hope, which is faith in the future, that something in the future is going to happen and we have to wait for it. Now, faith is defined in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, which says, now faith is the certainty of things hoped for. Puts it right together. Faith is the certainty of things hoped for. They haven't happened yet. We hope they're going to come to pass. A proof of things not seen. Whoa, that's different. A proof of things not seen. It's the proof. It's not just patience. It's not just waiting, but it's an, it's an assurance. It's an assurance that what has been said and is going to take place. Now, that assurance is based on the character of God that he never lies, and he has the character that, uh, that he's faithful, and so when he promises something, it's going to happen. He has the power to do it, unlike us. He has the character to do it, to do it unlike us, and he, so therefore he will do it. And it's, it's absolutely, without a doubt, going to take place. We can have a total assurance of it. In verse 2 of Hebrews, it says, For by it, that's faith, the people of old gained approval. Now the approval of which the author of Hebrews refers is, is gained by supernatural means. That is the birthing that takes place in the life of a sinner. The Holy Spirit imparts what the believer needs to be pleasing to God. It is a hard concept for sinful men because we're all so proud. You know, to, to understand, you know, we think that we can do good. You know, we can be smart. We can accomplish great things. And in many cases, you know, people actually do those things. But we think of it in terms as if God were not behind everything good and amazing that takes place. Holy and righteous men always, always, always include God as the source of, source of everything good. James 1.7, for instance, says... Every good thing, every good thing, and every per perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. <laughs> That's it, everything. For this reason, the man that concludes that his free and, and he is free and, and unaltered by sin does not understand what happened in the garden. Not at all. The person that believes sinful men can choose and receive Christ as Savior and acknowledge that he is now the Lord of their life do not even understand the goodness that it takes to make such a choice. I don't want to attack anyone who happens to believe that right now, and I hope it don't come across that way. I'm talking this way because I, I want you, if you're listening to this and you happen to be of that persuasion, to just... Let's think together reasonably about what the Bible has to say about the condition of man. And is God, in fact, the source of everything good? Is James right and that everything good comes down from the Father? Or can we actually do something good apart from God, as in a free will which is somehow not in any way attached to God? If God is the source of all good things... And he is, because James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said so. Then how can a sinful person who chooses to hate God all their life then choose to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Master from the heart? Such a belief is nothing short of ludicrous. I'm not saying that again to be derogatory. I'm saying that 
because we're trying to be reason. We're trying to reason right now. We're talking about sinful people. Sinful people make sinful choices, wrong choices, choices that are against what God wants them to do. That's what sin is. It's a choice. We don't murder people without making a choice. We don't lie to people without making the choice to do so. Choice is attached to sin. So now we have to say that the choice to receive Christ is either good or bad. It's a choice. That's the nature, the character of sin or choices. It's either good or evil. It's immoral. Having made such a statement and trying to make such a point, let us look to the scripture for an accurate account of a sinner from God's point of view. And this is necessary if we're going to understand what life in the Spirit is. We all recognize that not all people are the same, and neither are all sinners the same. Some can be an, as evil as an Adolf Hitler and just kill masses of people, while others sweet as a Mother Teresa. Blind sinners will view people as evil and sweet and see one as good and others as evil. But how does God see all men? First, he will judge all exactly correct according to their works. Their works deserve. Revelation 20 says this, beginning in verse 1, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. All there is is the judgment. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So all who go there are sinners who did not have their sins covered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly, if a man was not found in the book of life, or having had his sins washed away in the blood of the Lamb, if he is not saved by the death and resurrection of Christ, he will be judged according to his own works. What works are those? Well, Paul lays them out, and I won't just stay on track. Let's stay on track here in Romans 3, 23, where he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Leading up to that, there's this list, and I'm just going to give you a few to point to a characteristics, a characteristic which is shared by all. None is righteous, no, not one. So, okay, so first of all, for all have sinned. And then no one's righteous. Before God, no one is righteous, not one. Secondly, no one understands, understands what? No one seeks for God. No one seeks for God. Naturally, the way we're born as a, and in this hum, fallen humanity, as the race of Adam, nobody seeks after God. It's like being married and not seeking after your wife or your husband. It's like not seeking after a person you find lost and you don't know what happened to them and you need to find them because you're worried about them. No, no seeking. Thirdly, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. So no matter, no, uh, as a matter of fact, no, no one cares whatsoever 
what their conscience has to say, a conscience which has been placed there by God. We turn aside from what he wants and we could care less. Fourth, no one does good. Not even one. So in all the world, in all history, and all the good that's been done, God is saying no one and no good has ever been done. Is that what he's saying? Well, what he's saying is in the sight of God, not even one person by their natural sinful energy does good in his eyes. Because even the good which is done, and he would acknowledge a thing as good, it's done from a person who's alienated from God. And alienation from God is not acceptable as a good thing. Now, that's hard to accept, particularly from men who are proud, who are sinful, because we think everything that we do that's good is good, but the fact is it's not good from God because we hate him. We don't seek him. You see, all the characteristics here are that we don't care about God. We don't care about his law. We don't care about righteousness. We don't care about what he thinks. We don't care that he exists. And he concludes this list by saying, there is no fear of God before their eyes. There's no respect, no honor, not even the fear that a holy and righteous God would, would bring judgment. All of that's gone. This doesn't exist. Psalm 110 says, the fear of the Lord. Psalm 111, I'm sorry, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if there's no fear of God, there's no beginning of wisdom. There's no wisdom. See, there's no knowing, there's no knowledge. Everything that God has said, is, it's true. The conclusion of my thinking, which is in accord with God's word, is just this. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. He has to start a new thing. A person can't make a good choice unless God starts a new thing. Now, I know that takes it out of our hands, and that was the problem that Nicodemus had, because he comes and says, you must be born again. Well, how can I be born again? That's right, how can I be born again? How can I make this thing happen? And Jesus said, well, you can't. You know, birth has, you had nothing to do with your physical birth, you have nothing to do with your spiritual birth, and that's what you need. It doesn't make sense. How can I do it? Well, you can't. That's the point. And, and to further make this a point, we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 20 and the law. You know, the conclusion is that from God's word, yes, salvation is of the Lord. When God brought Israel out of the land, when he brought them out of the land, he led them to Mount Sinai and he gave them the law. And the, the law is summarized in Ten Commandments and in chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, he gives the first of the commandments. And he says, I am the Lord your God. I am Jehovah your Elohim. I am Jehovah your Elohim who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What was that? Out of the house of slavery. You were slaves there. You shall have no other gods before me. So since humanity's fall in the Garden of Eden, all men have been enslaved. Enslaved to sin. That's the picture. He had to bring out the slaves from Egypt. And we've been enslaved to sin. And that's what Paul talks about in Romans as he's going through sanctification, and he's going through chapter 6 and 7, and now 8, where it's all about slavery. So we fell in the garden, we're in bondage to sin's lusts, to, and to the words of the devil that we first believed, 
as sons of Adam, you know, and believe them over the words of God. When Paul speaks to us concerning the condition of all sinful men, since the fall, in the first chapter of Romans, he says this in verse 21, Knowing God, they glorified him not as God, neither gave thanks, but became vain in their reasonings, and their senseless heart was darkened. Then verse 23, And changed the glory of the incorruptible God for the likeness of an image of corruptible man. And then he goes into these animals. But the first thing, the very first thing that man worships over God is himself. It's man. That's where it all starts. So we have this senseless heart, this darkened heart, this heart that's separated from God, doesn't seek after God, and we worship ourselves. Now this type of a being, we're being told, is able to make good choices. When humanity began to follow idols, it began with the worship of self. Ugly. Now, what we need is spiritual help to break free from our enslavement to sin. You know, to, to break out of the bondage. And, and to break out of the bondage is multifaceted because it includes the world, the flesh, and the devil. However, it is always as a result of the freedom lost in the garden and our present condition as enslaved, you know, to our own heart, our own lusts. So for this reason, Paul begins verse 26 and 27 of Romans chapter 8, which is where we are today, with this phrase, in the same way. Continuing on from in the same way, the bio, uh, the, he goes on to say the Spirit also helps our weakness. Now in Greek, it's an interesting point here, Weakness refers to an ailment that deprives someone of enjoying or accomplishing what they would like to do. In the same way, note this, the Spirit also helps our weakness or our ailment that deprives us of enjoying or accomplishing what we want to do. <laughs> it actually focuses on the handicaps that go on with the weakness. So it's, it's focusing on that handicap. So the Spirit is helping us with our handicap. Furthermore, in, in the Greek, there's this nuance. It expresses the weakening influence of the illness or a particular problem, especially as someone becomes wrongly, overly dependent. So here's a person who has a weakness and that, that weakness causes a wrongful dependence. Now I'm going to suggest here that we are in a war and this war puts us into a battle which can actually mess with our mind and get, make us dependent on something we shouldn't be. And I hope I'm going to make that clear in just a few minutes. So what we want to look at here is I, I hope you didn't miss the overtones in the Greek. And I, I'm kind of trying to make them as clear as I possibly can. I can. All saved individuals have the same weakness. <laughs> we're, not, we're not perfect. We're believers. We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We've been forgiven. 
But so far as righteousness concerns, we're not perfect. Therefore, we need to be dependent upon God by faith so that we can accomplish his will. In eternity, we will be perfectly dependent upon God. But now, we tend to depend on ourselves still. Such a weakness can be devastating to our accomplishing the will of God. Now let's look at how Paul continues the verse. For we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Too deep for words. So in other words, words can't express what's going on in, in our heart. Now some, you know, people of some persuasion will say we need another language. But what it's saying here, it's too deep for words. It doesn't say too deep for English. It doesn't say too deep for human words. What it, what it is, it's, it's too deep for words. Why is he making this point? Well, to be born again is to be born into a realm which is, is spiritual. It's not a matter of the five senses. It's not about seeing or hearing with with our eyes or our ears. It's not about taste or touch. It's not about feeling. You know, it, it's not about smelling. It's, it's about something that goes much, much deeper than that. To be born again is, is another realm that we really don't live in. We live in this flesh. We live through the senses, which is one thing why when a, a person is born again, they start talking weird. They start thinking weird. Why? Because they're in a spiritual realm. And thoughts come to mind that unbelievers just, it doesn't, it doesn't occur. Why? Because it's, it's kind of in a realm that's beyond words or understanding. Now, Christian people are speaking with understanding. They're saying things, but where is it coming from? It's coming from the Word of God. But uh, an unsaved person can, can read the Word of God, maybe try to understand, but they can't understand it according to God. But a believer can. Why? Because the mind and the heart have changed. The persons come back to life. They're living a spiritual life. Hold on to this for a minute because this is really important. Because we have a tendency to think with our mind uh, like we used to. You know, the, the story is, was told of a, a bear that was in a zoo and they were going to take him out of a small environment which he could only move five steps forward and then five steps back, five steps forward, five steps back. That was the whole cage. They took him out and they put him into this field, like, you know, where you could see him, but he could roam around. And I don't remember how long the time was, but it was a good long time. When he, in that enclosure, all he could do is walk five steps forward and five steps back. He was, in his mind, he was in, in that same cage that he spent for so long a period of time. You know, Christians can be like that. You're just stuck in that place. It takes the Spirit of God to set a person free from that. You know, the Scripture says in, in Colossians 2, 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and dead, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all trespasses. We've forgiven all trespasses. When we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's a choice. Now, how then were we dead? We're dead spiritually. At the point that a person is saved, that is, their sins are forgiven, they become alive, alive spiritually. To be alive in the Spirit is one thing, 
To walk in the Spirit is, is something else, believe it or not. I'm going to prove that in a minute through Scripture. Let, to, to better understand what God means by life in the Spirit, I'm going to turn to Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Now, this is what Paul's saying in this portion. And you know, one portion of Scripture brushing up against the other, and you bring them together to see how they fit together. This is the way to understand the Bible. I'm not jumping around to make different points. It's the same point. It's the same Paul, and he's making the same point. It's just got more color to it. So in Galatians 5, verse 16, it says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Wow, that's, isn't that something? Walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. I said that to a person one time, and a big guy leaned in way into my face and said, What does that mean? Great question. For the desire of the flesh, he goes on and says, and I'm going to explain it, is against the Spirit. And the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing what you want. <laughs> Back to the same place. What we want to do is in opposition to one another. We can't do it. There's a, an opposition that's going on. It's the flesh and the spirit, and they're fighting against one another. And while this fighting is going on, nothing is getting done. I mean, they're in opposition in order, because he says this, in order to keep you from doing what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Oh, he throws this in there. He throws the law in there. Why? Well, something is taking place, a war is taking place, and the war has to do with the law. The person who's trying to win this battle because they want to do the will of God, they want to do what's right, and they're in a battle, and it's the spirit and the flesh. Now, the spirit is that life that's been regenerated and a person's born again. But they're not fighting according to the terms that God has set up so that they can win, they're, set, they're fighting in the flesh. Paul said, you know, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. I mean, you can't use a gun to make yourself do what you want to do. Now, we don't use guns. I'll tell you what we do. We do crazy things. There's a lot of things we do. But it all boils down to this. You know, I've heard people for many, many years, and they'll say this, you know, you, you just have to do the disciplines. You, you just have to do the, the disciplines, really. That's what you have to do. You have to do the disciplines. See, what we're talking about here is a spiritual war. What we're talking about is loving God. What, what we've been building towards, what Paul's been building towards in, uh, in Romans is about loving God. I mean, he shows it in the characteristics that we look today. He shows it in a whole many different ways that we turn away from God because we don't love God. The issue is, and the law is summed up by this, you shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might, and, and your neighbor as yourself. It's about love. You, you can't discipline yourself to love. It doesn't work that way. I ran this by my wife. I know it's true. Because women are creatures of the heart. You know, men tend to be more cerebral, you know, more mental. Not that women can't be brilliant. But we're just constructed different. No matter how intelligent a woman can be, and they can be so extremely intelligent, they, they, they speak from the heart. No matter what training and things different happens, it doesn't matter. The way they're made essentially by God is that men are 
more callous, more just do the thing. And, and women, you know, and there's all types of studies about this and marriage clinics and all this. And, and women are emotional. doesn't take a, 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 a genius to figure this out, really. All you got to do is be married. And you understand that we're different. And that's why I just brought my wife into this. Love is of the heart. Not, not primarily just an emotional thing. It's a choice. But, but that's the point. You, you can't discipline yourself to love. You either love somebody or you don't. And if you love someone, like I, I see my wife do. I mean, she's one of the most self-sacrificing people. Oh, they need a ride. I mean, she's gone. It doesn't matter what's, what she's got to do. It, it, it just doesn't matter. You need just to go do it. You know, you just, you just gives yourself away to people all the time. It's the way she is. And that's the way love is. Love is you, you give yourself away for, for someone else. It's not about discipline. Discipline is like the law. So you, you got to do this. What do you got to do? You got to read your Bible. You got to pray. You got to you fellowship with other Christians. You got to witness for Christ. You know, you got to do these things. Oh, you got to keep the law. Well, it's not the law. It's, it's love. No, it's not love. You don't have to do anything that you, that you, you have to want to do it. That's the whole point. A person who loves someone else does it because they want to do it. And they don't have to force themselves to do it. You just do it. So this whole blockage comes because a person is back to going in the grind of doing something good and it brings a stalemate, a fight, and you don't get things done. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. The deeds of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, goes through this list, indecent behavior, idolatry, all these ugly things that he brings out that's in the heart of sinful people. Just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you mean if we do these things, we're not going to go to heaven? No, you see, this is as a, a way of life. This is the practice of people. They just they do this as a practice. They do That's who they are. Christians don't do these things because that's not who they are anymore. But there's a, this, this conflict that comes in because we're not perfect, because the world is not perfect and they want the rest of the, all the world to be like them. That's why they kill people who are Christians and Jews. You have to be like me. And, and, that's, and so there's the world and then there's the devil and there's the flesh. And the imperfect flesh starts going back to the law. But a person who's a Christian, who's born again, uh, doesn't do these things as a way of life. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a war. And that's why in 22 he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? He started, and then it's summed up, is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, which are all fruits of love, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. There's no law against doing good, but there's a law against doing evil. But doing good under the law is dead. It's dead works. There's three kinds of works in the Bible. There's good works, there's evil works, and there's dead works. And the law puts a person under dead works. Now a person who's not separated from God doesn't need to be under that law. All he needs to do is love God. That's all he needs. That's right. That's all he needs to do. And we have every, every 
tool at our disposal, every weapon at our disposal to love God. We have the Holy Spirit. You don't need anything else. You have the Spirit of the living God. You have Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. So then in verse 25 is key to this as we drawing towards the end. And I want us to, you know, I would love my hearers to understand all of this. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now, if we live by the Spirit, and I'm going to show you in a bit, living by the Spirit is not the same as walking by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, that's being born again. You've come to Christ. You've acknowledged that Jesus Christ is the author of salvation. And apart from his work in our heart, we would never even choose him. But having chosen him and having rectified our thinking, we understand that God is the source of all things. I must depend upon him alone. My choices cannot save me. And neither by those choices can I walk in the Spirit. God has to help me do this thing. It's a matter of faith, not choice. Faith in God. That's where the dependency has to lie. The Holy Spirit who's interceding in these matters. Not just about prayer, but all of life. But prayer is a key element because prayer is talking to God and you exercise faith best when you talk to God. If we, and I don't want to turn that into a work. This is about loving God naturally in the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit as well. It says follow in this translation. Let us walk by the Spirit. It's different. If we live by the Spirit, let's walk by the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another. See, when there's competition, well, you know, you're not Baptist, you're Pentecostal, or you're, you're, not, Pente- you're not Presbyterian, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not a Pentecostal, you're Presbyterian. You know, however it works through all these different divisions, any competition even within the same church is no good and you know what it does? It, it's part of this problem where the flesh and the spirit are fighting against one another. It's got to start with humility. That's the whole point here. We're not envying one another. No competition, but humility. Why humility? Well, it goes right back to who we think is the cause of all of this. Is it my choice that brought me into the kingdom of God? Or was it God who brought me into the kingdom of God? That's, it takes actually humility to think you had nothing to do with it. That's really a key issue in being a Christian. That we humble ourselves before God. Just receive the word for what it says. That God is sovereign and he's in control of all things. We're sinfully wicked. We didn't get into the kingdom. And now we can't walk once we're in the kingdom. If you walk by the Spirit, you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. What does it mean by the walk? By the Spirit, humility and faith. Faith is humble. The little child that comes to his father and said, I need your help, like for everything. You know what? Humble. That's why unless you're converted and become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what this walk is all about. So how then do we follow the Spirit? For this answer, we look to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and this is where we're going to close. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, extremely pertinent to this whole subject. So as he taught... You know, in Romans, and he teaches in Galatians, and he teaches in Ephesians, keeps adding light upon light upon light. 
So he begins in 14 by saying, for this reason I bend the knee to before the Father. Why? Okay, we understand who's in control. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derive its name. Where do we find their origin? In God. Back to humility. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self. See what I'm saying? See what Paul is saying? See what God's saying here? What God is saying here is there is a strength and this strength is the power through his, through the spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is God, in the inner self. This is not about the body, it's not about the senses, it's not about this fleshly machine that we live in and we think it accomplishes everything, including our brain. Not about that. This is the inner self. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now when you take that dwell apart in the Greek, it is to settle down, to feel comfortable. When Christ comes to live within a person, he leaves, not like leaves permanently. Once you're born again, you've been new creation, and there's a presence there always. But the fullness is not always there. That's why we're to be filled with the Spirit, and it's given as a command. It's something we do. Be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit. It's present, continuous sense, so from moment to moment. And once the filling leaves... You got the Holy Spirit, you're going to live, you're going to be etern you're eternally secure. He's going to make sure you get in. But the thing is, you're not going to have the power to overcome sin, to beat the battle, to get out from under the law, to start living in love. All of that is attached to this inner man, attached uh, has, as a house, and the Holy Spirit coming to settle down and feel comfortable and empower a person. So that Christ may dwell, settle down in your hearts, verse 17 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, in your hearts through faith, so that you being rooted and grounded in what? And grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the height and the depth of what? We're talking about something you can't see, you can't feel. You can't relate to it in this life because we're so attached to this body. Comprehend with all the saints what is what. It's this, this spiritual life. And, and he adds, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To all the fullness of God. So this is something that surpasses knowledge. So if you think you're going to think your way in this, if you think this is a brain issue, Paul makes it really clear. Um, guys, listen, brothers, sisters, saints, fellow saints, this is not a matter of intellect. Look, I'm doing a lot of teaching here. And, and teaching, you know what I'm doing? I'm pointing you through the Word, through everything I'm just reading and explaining to Christ. I'm pointing you to a dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God that's going to help you pray as you should and as you can when you're enabled by Him so that all these other things can take place. What kind of praying is that? 
Well, it's not the kind of praying that, uh, thank you, Lord, for these thy gifts uh, which we're about to receive. Amen. Uh, we're not talking that kind of prayer. We're not talking a discipline of forcing yourself, you know, to intercede for saints. You know, Lord, I pray for this, but I pray for that. But I pray. No. We're talking about worshiping God. We're talking about coming into the Scripture. And whatever Scripture you're reading, whether it's creation, where the Gospel begins, or it's Matthew, where the Gospel of Christ on display begins, or it's the epistles, wherever it is, I can guarantee you this, God is being glorified in a multitude of ways. And the first thing about prayer is glorifying God. You know what happens? You get out of yourself. You get yourself out of the way and you see God. And in prayer, in your closet, where nobody's around, is a a thousand times more potent than what you hear coming out of the pulpit or this microphone or any Bible teacher as important as it is because the Bible teacher is pointing you in a direction. But you got to go do it. And in this case, you have to depend on God. You have to depend on God for the love you need that will carry you through to walking by the Spirit and fulfill the life that you've been given back. The life to love God. The life to serve God. To know God. Heaven is about knowing God. Heaven is about the old earth and the old heaven being done away. I mean, it's just, boof, it's out. Just the way it's spoken into existence, it's out. And there's a new heaven and a new earth where there's no darkness, only light. There's no absence of God. There's only only the presence of God. This is life the way it's meant to be lived. We will live it, and now we live it in the closet and throughout the rest of our day as God walks with us and we have a a consciousness of the presence of God and we live in the Spirit and we walk in the Spirit and we love God and we live a successful life because we're not battling flesh against flesh. We're not battling through the law or under the law. We're actually battling in love for Jesus Christ and for God. And I know the battle. I know how hard it is. And I I just want to make it easier for my hearers because the only way you're going to get it done is the easy way. And the easy way is just 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 to believe. It's just that simple. It's just to trust God. You mean when I'm going to the hospital and like, when you're going to the hospital, when I'm going to prison for my faith, when you're going to prison, you're just going to trust God. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to empower you. So like when I'm fighting over this temptation and this evil and this sin and this division in the church, yes, then too. It's about faith. It's about seeing what needs to be done and doing it in the Spirit. That's what it's about. If you don't get this the first time through, listen to it a few more times. It'll probably grow on you and more pieces will come together. I'm not doing this so you listen to this more and listen to me more. But some of these concepts are a little bit hard um, and it, it takes time. I mean, it's taken me like 46 years to like get to this point through a lot of beatings which were behind the barn because they were good disciplinary beatings because I was hard-headed and I was disobedient and I was rebellious and God, you know, has smacked me around, which he does to us. And if we're listening and we're watching, instead of asking questions like, you know, why is God allowing this to happen? You know, we would wake up and we say, well, I'm not what I need to be. I'm not walking how I should. I'm not obedient. And these things come into our life. Not always. 
you know, there's plenty of reasons things come into our lives, but there's plenty of times when they come in uh, and if we're watching, we realize we're not what we need to be. We need to go to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry I've sinned here. You know, I, I need you to straighten me out. Now that's living the Christian life the way we really need to. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time to examine your word and to proclaim your word, to hear your word. Lord, I ask that you would take this word and place it in the hearts of my hearers. If anyone listening to this has never even entered in to a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, they need to. I mean, they really desperately need to because eternity is in the balance. An eternity of bliss in the presence of the living God or an eternity of agony where the presence of God is there for punishment because of rebellion and pride and sin and alienation from God by wicked choice. Lord, I ask that you would plant within the hearer your Holy Spirit, so that they might come to you humbly, be born again, be a new creation in Christ, be given a heart with your law written on the mind, on their mind and on their heart, so that they would, out of love, want to keep that commandment. For the Christians who listen to this and they're struggling with this walk, you know, may they hear the words of this message, to walk by faith, not by sight, to walk in hope and to prevail over the enemy. And yes, even over the law, when, it's in, when we're in bondage to sin, to keep it by dead works. If there's a problem understanding Romans 7, Lord, to go you know, to those messages and understand the, the, the nature of Romans 7 as it should be understood in the Greek, and that it's far more victorious than what we think it is, and that we can't accomplish the will of God, and we can't be obedient, which is just not true. Lord, may the hearers just walk in the Spirit so they may be obedient, and not live in fear of man, but in the fear of God. I ask these things for your honor and your glory, for your pleasure, in Jesus' name, amen.